Podcast. Hold on to your butt. Come on, sucker. Let's get it on. Oh, you want to fight? You want to fight? I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. You don't know anybody named Iris? I don't know nobody named Iris. Can I have a piece of toast? I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Western demands. How could you do this to me? Really, I want to know. Why did you do that? What you feel only matters to you. Step back for one minute and look at the big picture. And that's all. No, no, not for the real fire. The orphans bond a family that very few can understand. Help me. Help you. <laughs> I don't do drugs. Or Whatever Movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I am your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley. Today, what are we talking about, Wes? The Tax Collector. Now available on VOD. On Amazon Prime at a premium, yeah. That said, Capone is already on Prime. That's kind of crappy. So we paid like 20 bucks for that for like a couple months advance notice? Uh-huh. Thankfully, millions listened to that episode, and it really launched us into the stratosphere, so. You know, I feel like this sarcasm is holding us back. you got to be positive about our podcast. Karma doesn't mean anything. You're saying it contributes psychologically to my state of mind? Karma is not the same thing as universal energy. <laughs> okay. Whatever, free radicals. Don't even, you can't, you got to get in the spiritual mindset for this film because there's definitely a spiritual element. It's very spiritual energy. And Conejo's definitely going hard with the dark evils. Wait, you mean Conejo played by Conejo? Yep. Talk about legitimacy. <laughs> oh yeah? Is Shia legit in this? Yeah. Shia, dude, you go visit Shia and he'll open his shirt and he has a giant tattoo on his chest that says Creeper. Which is hilarious because we never saw him in anything but a three-piece suit. Yeah, you did. Remember when Conejo was torturing him, spoiler, and you see a brief glimpse of him on FaceTime and he's vaguely tattooed when she's hacking his legs with a hammer and you're like, oh, that's what that dedication was for. Right. So you're talking about the tattoos that Shia LaBeouf got permanently inked into his skin for his role as Creeper. Not a Creeper tattoo, a full chest tattoo, i.e. all the things that Creeper would have in real life growing up in the hood. Which he could have done with makeup for the purposes of this film. But that's not Shia's bag. Because <laughs> he's an artist. He's an artist. And look, I really think the guy is a good actor. He just, I think when he gets into this mode, he inhabits a role so thoroughly. He was talking like a bumpkin for a long time, all the way through the press for Peanut Butter Falcon, which he was probably at the time in the process of making Honey Boy. And in true Creeper fashion, he's completely absent from any promotion of this movie. Of course, he's the main source of controversy in this movie, but he's nowhere to be found. Ooh, controversy. Yep. I like controversy. Yep. Let's get into that. Yeah. So David Ayer, who directed it, or Ayer, depending on who you ask, is also a white dude who was born in Champaign-Urbana and raised in Maryland and then came to the streets of L.A., but neither of them have represented this film in any of the press. They've been letting Bobby Soto handle a lot of the press and interviews and some of the Latino cast because this movie has very much been embraced as a cultural, as a Mexican, in this particular case, cultural movie. 
David Ayer, has the, he's no stranger to this kind of movie. He did Harsh Times and End of Watch, and he wrote Training Day. So he's no stranger to this type of movie. Shia LaBeouf, I think, is, but he is not present because he's letting this movie be presented by the all-Latino cast. Probably a good move. Right. And so Shia has also not been present. That hasn't stopped the controversy centered largely around Shia, who's on screen, as being, quote, in brown face for this role. <gasps> Yeah, no, the word has been said, and David Ayer himself released a statement saying he's not portraying a Mexican. He is a white kid who grew up in a Mexican culture. But we have been raised and around this environment in L.A. our entire lives. That's a thing. That's totally a thing where people of any race, because Bobby Soto himself, who plays David, said that Cholo is not doesn't specifically refer to color, it's a culture, and anybody can be a cholo, and anybody who grew up in that lifestyle. You know, and maybe and maybe Shia got tattooed for this role to earn his credibility, to earn his right to represent, because he's wholly committed, as a white guy who grew up in a cholo neighborhood might be, as Creeper was. But why Shia? Why Shia for this? Does he have a connection with David Ayer? Yes. So Shia was in David Ayer directed Fury with Brad Pitt, and he was one of the members of the tank. And no less committed, David Ayer called him the most committed individual he's ever worked with. And that's undoubtedly the truth. I mean, the controversy swirled around about Shia's craziness back then. He pulled out a tooth or had a tooth removed because he felt it would be more legitimate. He was supposed to have a wound on his face, which he continually reopened with a knife for a real wound for continuity. So you can see those scars on his face, two of them are prominent on his cheek all throughout the tax collector. They really played that up. He decided that a guy, I think he was a gunner or a mechanic on the tank, he decided that that guy wouldn't bathe very regularly. And because there was like eight people crammed into that little tank, he decided not to shower for realism. Doesn't method kind of end at physically harming yourself? One would think. So there's a line because obviously inhabiting his character is a mindset and it's a cultural identity, but it's not, he's not a murderer. He's not a, you know, a hitman or a tax collector, hopefully. Was he convincing as a bodyguard? That's essentially what Creeper was. I mean, he was a torturer and he was the devil or whatever, but essentially he was David's bodyguard. Yes. And he, I think, is convincing. Unfortunately for Shia, like a lot of actors in Hollywood, his stature doesn't lend itself to being imposing or frightening. He looks like a kid in a three-piece suit. He looks like a scrawny dude. He's not a scrawny dude. Shia is pretty jacked and definitely committed. Everything that can possibly be done to make him be Creeper, he does. He just doesn't quite look the part. He's kind of a little guy. He looks the part next to Bobby Soto. I think that as a team, they make sense. They're both kind of scrawny dudes who are like badasses. But the Napoleonic complex is strong. He's definitely committed. He's got guns on both ankles, Glock in his belt, machine gun in the trunk. He's fully ready. He's ride or die. Yeah, he's scarred and maybe missing a tooth and, and scary looking and intense. And he has a, he is a good actor. He's not meek in personality in any of the roles he's been in, more so in person where he's kind of shy. But he's uh, I, I think he's convincing enough. They were both overcompensating a little bit, though. Like, they didn't need to be quite so snaky in your face. Like, they would get all up in the mug and they would, like, do the neck tilty thing where they're, like, trying to get multiple angles to intimidate them. I think you, you, we can tell from the Ed Hardy title sequence that this was going to be a fantasy. Sure. I mean, it's loft. It's, it deals with very lofty subject matter. Faith, 
loyalty, brotherhood. Does brotherhood extend to family? Family, oh man, it was was all, all kinds of Fast and the Furious when it came to family. Yeah, the original script of which was written by David Ayer. Now, when it comes to that family stuff... Whenever someone says, oh, I can't wait, it looks like a really cool gangster movie. When they're talking to Bobby Soto, he's like, yeah, I mean, it is kind of like that. But also this movie is about family and faith and values and commitment and that kind of stuff. And sure it is. Uh, we, We definitely open on the David character all about family. Right. He's a family man first. And then he goes to his work, which is a completely different thing. His work, however, the shop that he owns is also run by his family until he has to kill people that aren't his family or get money from them. And if they don't pay, he kills them or get his family back from people who aren't his family. Right. Yes, it's definitely about family. But so was Goodfellas. Goodfellas was all about family. It's still a gangster movie. Yeah, but you can't mix like Italian gangster with like bloods and creep bloods and crips. No, creeps would have been appropriate, too. But yes, you can. And watch me do it. Goodfellas is all about family. And the Fast and the Furious is definitely the Vin Diesel character is definitely family centric. It's still a car movie. It's still a racy movie. Goodfellas is still a gangster movie. And the tax collector is still a gangster movie. Although, how come we don't see Creeper Creep? Yeah. We know that he's widely regarded as the devil. And if you've heard of Creeper, you've heard his name in association with the devil that adds legitimacy to his character. I don't know if they filmed those snippets. They put him up in the hazmat suit and covered him in blood for one shot of him smoking a cigarette. But it was effective. And at a lean hour 35, you would think that this movie had a tremendous amount that they left on the cutting room floor. I'm not sure why, because I think everyone wanted to see Creeper. If he was originally plugged in, as the token white guy to get butts in the seats, or in this case, eyes on streaming, it was effective. But I wanted to see Creeper, and his death was impactful, but maybe just because I was like, oh, really? We're losing him already? I guess we're hanging with David now. Yeah. <laughs> well, David's got to go it alone so that he can prove himself. Did you think, as Kelly and I both did, that Creeper would creep on David ultimately? No. You never thought he would turn? Because he did say, I would die for you. And then he did. Creeper was loyal. Creeper was like a attack dog, loyal to his owner to the end. Creeper was like Shia LaBeouf level dedication to the role. <laughs> Creeper was as loyal exactly. to David Creeper as Shia was. was. As de- <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't think that. They, ha- they were enough threats in this world that Shia didn't need to be another one. Enough threats for sure. This is a world, like I said, a heightened level of reality that is kind of fantasy where they all dress cool like the twins in Breaking Bad and everybody at all times in David Ayer's world is posted centuries posted with shotguns on the roof it was like Baz Luhrmann's Romeo y Julieta or something it was this weird fantasy world where everybody has guns and everybody's cool it's like romanticized version of gang life in LA it's like if a Mexican went into the matrix I don't know that it was that far. I mean, maybe there aren't machine gun shootouts every day in L.A., but I certainly wouldn't put it past the real gangsters and vatos that roam the streets of L.A. It's definitely what some people would want to be doing. I'm sure the mob isn't as glorious or glamorous as it appeared to be in Goodfellas, and people really like that movie. What would have been really awesome is if this was a drug gang movie that was like kind of sci-fi. Like, if you want to go heighten, go all the way. I thought that when, in David's monologue to someone he was collecting tax from, he was like, you don't not pay your taxes because 
the wizard is, you know, they know everything and they're psychic. Like, I seriously thought these were like gangsters and drug dealers with clairvoyance and they could see people not paying their taxes in advance and then they'd put the hammer down. Like, Vato Minority Report. Did you legitimately think the tax collector was elevated beyond reality and was like a fantasy movie? Well, yeah, for a time. I mean, I was trying to get my footing in this world and really understand, but I could sense right off the bat that it was a heightened kind of romanticized reality. And I thought that when he was, you know, and it was obviously very spiritual, and I thought that maybe God was telling them who wasn't paying their taxes. <laughs> So that they would know to collect and they would make sure that things don't slip through the cracks. I mean, obviously, this cleared itself up pretty shortly thereafter. <laughs> but now that I think of it, like, why not ha Why not go all the way? We've seen the drug ring, drug lord movies and television shows ad nauseum at this point. So it's only a matter of time before we take it into a sci-fi realm. But ad nauseum is the problem. This is firmly rooted in Mexican culture. And yet, was there anything in The Tax Collector that was new or novel? George Lopez in a dramatic role? Yep, George Lopez in a dramatic role and swearing. I guess Shia LaBeouf in his role. As soon as this movie opened, within five minutes, I was like, okay, when is John Barenthal going to show up? Because didn't this <laughs> seem like the ideal movie for him? You know what? Shia was kind of Lee Iacocca in his three-piece suit. Yeah. But John Barenthal's a great gangster. Yeah, he's imposing, he's menacing. I guess he could be brown. I mean, look, if we're talking about brown face, go back to the amazing Cliff Curtis, who did Training Day. Great character actor. He definitely played a Mexican guy. Smiley, he played a vato and he was hardcore, and uh, no one gave him crap about it. It was just a different time. Training Day already is almost 20 years old. Yeah, I don't, I don't get what all the fuss is about for Training Day. Like, Training Day and The Departed, I'm like... Who cares? <laughs> you don't care about those movies or you don't care about People how they're obsessed with those movies. I don't know. I mean, I watch Training Day a lot and this is what probably gives David Ayer the most legitimacy in my mind, not even directed by him. Now, he hasn't just done this type. He did Suicide Squad and he did Fury, which were worlds away thematically. But uh None of those really stuck in the way that people were hoping. He's a thing. I don't know if he's the biggest thing. Like, I fully thought that this was a like a breakout film for new Mexican-American or Angelino talent. And I think that's because David Ayer has his niche here. And I apologize if I'm mispronouncing his name, but you would think that Knives Out would have been a cute feature by a director with real chops. And then you find out that Ryan Johnson did Looper and Star Wars and these much bigger, different types of movies. And yet when he comes back into his own and does what he is arguably best at, it stands out. This does feel like a prominent feature about Mexican-American and in particular crime life in L.A. that could have been handed off to someone young like Antoine Fuqua when he did Training Day or the Hughes brothers when they did Men to society. It does feel like a young filmmaker's formative vision, right? Spike Lee, do the right thing. Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking about. Although, do the right thing wasn't his first film. It was um, She's Gotta Have It. Was it? That was his breakout film after, you know, his NYU stuff. Okay. But uh, so firmly rooted in the culture, David, his, for the role he has, He's a family man, yeah, but that's obviously his weakness in all of this, right? It's the soft spot that you would press if you want want leverage on this character. You, like, you don't see Conejo with his family. He's all about work and, and, 
and machismo off the charts. Is <laughs> well, he had his broad or whatever, but why does he come back after all of these years? Right, he's gone for ten years. He resurfaces and he wants to take over. Was it the wizard's doing? I'm not really sure, honestly. Connecting the wizard, who was played by the way by uh, Jimmy Smiths. I didn't care about his character because he was a legend that was referred to, but it was David and Creeper on the ground doing the dirty work, and so I was more focused on them. Do you think that Wizard brought back Conejo as a test for his son? I don't know, because would he have his son's wife killed? If it meant that David proves his mettle, it seems like it. I mean, he was awfully proud, and he didn't seem to have any remorse about... Alexis. Well, let us operate on that theory for a moment. It would be the only reason that the wife would be killed and then David would be able to enter the room and be like, no, no, baby, please, no, let me give you a bath and I won't worry about anyone else coming to shoot me because whoever shot her then peaced out immediately and then left his kids with his mom. Conejo left David's kids with his mom and went to his TV shanty or whatever. Just enough so he could recover his kids and not have to do so in the middle of a gunfight. So he can get the kids out of the way so that he can go to a different location for the final boss fight. Damn, was I relieved when the kids were safe again. But why did Conejo, like, threaten to dip him in acid and then go away? I don't know. That's exactly the point. Maybe because it was all the wizards doing. I'm giving some credence to the movie for things that were plot holes or problems for me in the hopes that maybe it was this larger orchestration by this wizard character who apparently was in jail, who was controlling things, and maybe set Conejo against David as a test of his son's fortitude. Who knows? I mean, it would make sense because the wizard would be relieving his son, David, of his primary weakness, Alexis, and basically enabling him to become the boss crime lord drug dealer guy that he was intended to be or that he wanted to see his son become. I mean, I'm reading into David's final look, which was very knowing and to the camera, and it suggested to me that something was up whether he knew that his dad, the wizard, was behind Conejo's re-emergence or that he was going to take matters into his own hands to make sure that his fate is not sealed. I mean, you say that Creeper was out of the game too soon, which I agree. Like, I would have liked to have seen more. I would have liked to have seen his Creeper reputation pay off as bloody and as gruesome and graphic as this thing was. I don't know how much more I could have taken, but... So I thought, you know, like this movie is about Creeper and David and their brotherhood. And then when he died, I was like, oh, okay, so I guess it's not. But then it was again because David digs into his soul, into his person to understand, to find the place within him that's going to help him go on and face Conejo. And he finds that strength in the loyalty and the connection that he had from Creeper. He found his inner Creeper? (laughs) He found strength and resolve in the dedication that Creeper had to him and applied that, and David applied that to facing down Conejo. So yeah, his inner Creeper. So obviously I was connected to this, which is surprising because I don't think I've seen something as graphic and bloody as this since irreversible which was like the last time i thought i think i saw people get bludgeoned in the face irreversible continually makes the list of movies along with requiem for a dream that people they're movies that were really good that i'll never watch again 
is what usually the name of that list. I don't know that yeah. that the tax collector fits in. This was graphic, dude. This doesn't rank up there with the most graphic movies I've ever seen, but probably because I'm a dude and no stranger to gangster type movies. I mean, I've like hung with the best of them. Okay. Did you watch Faces of Death growing up? <laughs> yes, because you made me watch it. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. <laughs> you just short of tied me to chairs and made me watch crap that, like that. That sounds, that's really Friday, dark Friday, and unfounded. Elm, what's the Elm Street thing? Night, Elm, dude. Friday okay. on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm Street is what you're going to compare to Faces of Death? In terms of overall trauma, yes. Who are you, the sneak? Nightmare on Elm Street, if you were to watch it today, is comical. And bloody. His face was like all like burns. Yeah. Oh, was it? Like the mask that you see that's the exact replica of his face at the Spirit Halloween store now? Nobody cares. It's all in your mind. I'm just saying, I what are you talking about? You I didn't choose to have these things in my mind. You forced me to when I was a kid and now I can hang. So for better or for worse. How did David kill Conejo? Because it seemed to me like he killed him with his own barbed wire jewelry like some kind of half-assed chainsaw is that what happened <laughs> i mean he had a machine gun and then there was the toilet bowl cover yeah but but beyond that i mean it was a fist fight he was a judo dude right he was like a he was all skilled at a grappling or whatever you call that when you're rolling around the floor the film i think started out as being real and felt real and he was grounded in family life and then it quickly descended into this surreal kind of dreamy other world where you thought it was a sci-fi movie and everybody has guns and they all pray. It started like a sci-fi movie, but then it, it settled into its heightened realism. And maybe my association with David Ayer firmly rooted this in what I expected to be a grounded reality. It was, in fact, the same world, supposed to be the same world as Training Day. Clay Sloan, who was the leader of the Bloods when David returns, the guy that was getting beaten up, who played the Bone character, was also Bone in Training Day. Oh, really? Yeah, and the Hillsa Teresa gang that they talked about was also in Training Day and Hard Times. And Bone ultimately came to David's aid in the end because of his loyalty and his you know upstanding mentality. Which is where this movie hits its zenith in terms of romanticizing. I mean, I get it that there's a code, but for reals... They're going to be like, this is a volunteer mission. And then they're going to like go in military formation to this dude's house and they're going to stand by him because why? Because they've got gangster code. Right. There's usually a wary, respectful distance between the gangs in, in a lot of these movies. And these guys were gung-ho. They're like, David says, we got to go, we got to go, lock and load. And they all went in like a military squad, right? Did you roll with Mexican power or did you roll with Asian power? Uh, neither. It, it depended for me on what the application was. It, when I was trying to get into school, I definitely rolled with Mexican power. When everybody came at me and was like, hey, I need your help fixing my computer. You're the computer guy in the family, right? Then I was definitely Japanese. We haven't talked at all about the Mexican-American princesses in this. A lot of them. But what about the, what about the dude? She's like a female you. What? What about Gata, the female creeper? Oh, the yeah. The female creeper in the six-inch stilettos. Yeah. And so that was my concern going into this movie is uh, the transporter had the dumb. And I think even Once Upon a Time in Mexico or something dumb and Robert Rodriguez related where like female assassins wear lingerie when they kill people. And so Gata, that was her name. She was the lady that came into the party, right? The one that got all in his face. 
Yeah, she was the black lipstick wearing, conejo massaging female creeper. Yeah, she is in full prominence on the po- in, in some of the posters in her underpants in front of the sugar skull with David and Creeper on either side in silhouette. And so I was like, it's going to be one of those Why movies. Why do they always is, have to be sexualized? This is going to be dumb because maybe this movie is dumb. I mean, Suicide Squad topped out at over two hours and it was still so much left on the cutting room floor that some of the characters weren't flushed out in the way that they were supposed to be. I think he focuses, David Ayer focuses on the wrong things. He focuses on the things that are supposed to be cool while the rest of us are marching along trying to keep a grip on what this movie was supposed to be and we lose the thread. Just because women are liberated and like can also kill and get into the fray or whatever doesn't mean that they have to be like hypersexualized. I mean, basically all the women in this film were either overtly sexualized or they were like insouciant, contemptuous Vato bitches who like just were around to give tood when like David needed a little tood getting. <laughs> or they were like Alexis when they were like, oh, she, you know, she's innocent and she's a, she's a princess. And yet she counts the money and finds out there's 20 grand missing. Like what? Like, how is she pure and innocent if she's, like, in the family business and counting stacks of money on their bed? Yep. And you're not going to get an argument from me about that. Uh, It's a different kind of movie. It's a movie by dudes and for dudes, and it's nothing new. Um, Oh, so that's okay? No, it's not okay. okay. You're basically a dude, bro, and you had a hard time finishing this movie, and Kelly didn't finish it. This movie doesn't have the female audience. It's just this is a world where women are... Are hot and dudes are also hot and dudes are also murderers and dudes are also womanizers. Yeah, but Bobby Soto said that there that this movie he was glad that it was going to be a movie that didn't try to teach us anything or didn't have any lessons. It was just fun where you go and have fun and hang out with your friends at the movie theater or at the drive-in or on video or whatever, and you enjoy it. And it's a a fun movie with a lot of Latino representation. Sure, and it was except it wasn't all that fun and it wasn't all that well made you want to go for fun and meaningless and just you know go american pickle yep or troop beverly hills you can't say that this doesn't have i mean there are implications to this film and you mean it's dealing with race and violence and gang activity and la subculture and faith and loyalty and family and brotherhood and drugs there's stuff going on here you can't just write it off as being fun yep so why don't you give your review once for once first first for once (laughs) uh if i said that i thought that the tax collector was good i wouldn't know how to justify that it wasn't bad it wasn't unwatchable it was a little rough i had to admit but maybe it was all the kid stuff that was getting under my skin this is a movie that i can't justify as being good but it wasn't boring to watch in the literal sense of the term. But I think the tax collector, despite me really liking Shia LaBeouf, was boring. So if you had a more nuanced rating system, as I do, you would say that this movie is whatever? Let's not speak in hypotheticals here. Because this movie, for me, was pretty whatever. But you're a dude, bro. But I've never loved this kind of movie. Mexican culture aside, this type of niche that a filmmaker inhabits, which is clearly his own or his strong suit, not enough. The same thing can be said for Robert Rodriguez and El Mariachi or Desperado or any of those movies. Because they're firmly rooted in a culture or a cultural identity doesn't make them good. 
because this has an all-Latino cast, um, a lot of which I liked, doesn't make it good. It has to be judged on its merits of filmmaking and its story and its execution, and all of that was the resounding whatever. Not looking so good for the tax collector. I love you, Shia LaBeouf. You're crazy. You're crazy, and keep doing, you shine on, you crazy diamond. That's our review on The Tax Collector. You got a whatever from Wes, a boring from Iris, 818-835-0473. We'd love to know what you think or whatever movies at gmail.com. Hit us up. Subscribe to our podcast. It helps people find us. We are still growing, and we appreciate your support. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Electric Acid. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together, we explore vibrations, frequencies, and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress, and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Electric Acid.